Well, we have some heavy lifting to do this morning, so let's just get right to it in this conversation. You know, our series uh, this year, our, our theme this year is a journey of faith, but for the fall, we are focusing on this question, what do you believe? And we are looking at various topics as we try to answer this question about building our own belief system, our own worldview. And today's topic is anthropology. What do you believe about anthropology? And the text for us today is found in the book of Genesis. So if we'll go all the way back to the very beginning and let's look at this very familiar passage from Genesis 1, verse 26. And this really begins our conversation about anthropology. So look at verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. <clears throat> well, this morning I want to have a conversation with you about anthropology. Well, what is anthropology? Well, uh, there, are, there are numerous definitions offered to us. It's actually an academic discipline. It's a, it's a field of study. But National Geographic has offered, I think, a very good um, <clears throat> definition. And this is what National Geographic says. Anthropology is the study of humanity through the application of biology, cultural studies, archaeology, linguistics, and other social sciences. So it is the study of anthropos, humanity, human beings. Who are human beings? What, what makes them live and move and find their being and their ultimate understanding of existence? How are they to relate to one another and to the culture in which they live? It's, it's, a, it's a very broad <clears throat> topic. So why would we have a conversation on Sunday morning at First Baptist Arlington in October of 2021 about anthropology? I've, I've had several people mention me this week. I've heard a lot of sermons in my day, but I don't know that I've ever, ever heard a sermon about anthropology. Well, actually, you have. Just probably haven't necessarily called it that. But let me read to you a quote from a book that I've read that, that has led me to to this message today, this conversation. Um, Owen Strachan has written a book called uh, Re-Enchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. And here's what he says. He says, if the major issue of the 16th century <clears throat> was that of acceptance, how man may be forgiven by God. And the major issue of the 20th century was that of authority, 
whether or not the Bible, God's word was inerrant, then the major issue of our time is that of anthropology. And here's the question that our culture has sought to answer and has led us to this conversation. Here's what Owen Strachan says. This is the question of our day. Does the human person live in an ordered cosmos and have an appointed identity or does he make his own identity in a world without God? That is a profound question. Let me read it to you again. Does the human person live in an ordered cosmos and have an appointed identity or does he make his own identity in a world without God? Strachan's book is really an insightful um, work that frames anthropology within the broader framework of systematic theology. And I think it's a very helpful book. So with that said, I want to set out for you today um, what I would just call contemporary anthropology. And I want to describe for you this morning as we begin this conversation with what our culture now today seems to embrace with regard to that very question. Does humanity live in an ordered cosmos with this assignment or is it devoid of God and humanity is just free to decide for itself who and what it is? So here's my take on cultural anthropology today. First of all, it is secular. Contemporary views of humanity are unashamedly secular in nature and devoid of any sense of transcendent realities. Today in my culture, in our society, more often than not, the understanding of humanity is against the backdrop and in the context of a completely secular worldview that has no sense of transcendence, no, no room for the divine, if you will. And, and it leads to a lot of things. I've shared with y'all before already uh, that I have read this book by Carl Truman, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's a profound work. It's, it's, it's heady. It's about 400 pages, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an, an academic read, but it's really good. And what Truman does in his book is he, he, he sets forth an argument, and then he walks you through the demonstration of it. And he shows how the influence of philosophers like Philip Reeve and Charles Taylor and uh, Rousseau and then theologians like Friedrich Nietzsche and then economists like Karl Marx and scientists like Charles Darwin and poets like Percy Bysshe Shelley and William Blake. All of, of those folks have participated <clears throat> in creating a context that now has given rise to a narrative. And the prevailing narrative of our day is an absolute rejection of God and it offers an explanation of humanity that empties humanity of its ultimate meaning and shackles us to this materialistic universe. In the academy and in the popular culture, it appears to me that is exactly what happens. Reality is explained today without any reference to God. There's this impersonal force that's at work. It's, it's this evolutionary process that somehow is guiding the collision of all of these atoms and shaping that process. And all of life can be understood without any sense of the transcendent or the divine. And so underneath what I see happening today is that particular view of humanity. Second is self-centered. 
Human beings are understood today through the lens of self-understanding, self-awareness, <clears throat> inward solutions, and what <clears throat> Charles Taylor, the philosopher, calls expressive individualism. What, what is the highest value in the secular anthropological view? Self-fulfillment. Self-fulfillment. The, the path toward that is a journey inward. It's, it's a psychological journey. It's a therapeutic journey. It is a, it is a, a, a journey of, of complete and independent self-determination. Social norms. All social norms are, according to this view, are expressions of power that have been inflicted upon human beings by religious expressions. And these norms, these behavioral guides, this ordered cosmos, if you will, it's a concoction of, of religious bigots. And it is, it is seeking to control your behavior. Any force that limits individual freedom, according to this view, must be absolutely rejected. What is the purpose of life? The purpose of life, according to this secular self-centered view, is to find yourself. And when you have found yourself, express yourself excessively. <clears throat> you know what it reminds me of? <clears throat> you remember in the book of Judges, the Bible says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is an old view. Do what you feel and your feelings will drive you to your ultimate answer. Now just think about that right there. <clears throat> I've had some crazy feelings just in my day. <clears throat> Can you imagine that view running rampant in a society? Yes, I can imagine it because I watch it. Just follow those feelings. It is an incredibly self-centered narrative. Third is selective. Human beings are now viewed as being held captive to social norms and historical realities. And so we've now been set free to select our own norms without, without any regard to acknowledgement of authority or need to be philosophically consistent. It, it boggles my mind, but it's highly selective. In 2015, Rachel Dolezal, she was the local chapter president of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. Y'all remember her story? Her family finally decided they could no longer allow her to live the lie. And what was the lie? She presented herself as a black person. Y'all remember this story? Her parents are both white. They began to marshal forth photos of her as a child. She was a freckled-faced, blonde-headed white girl who was now presenting herself as a black adult. She identified with black culture. You read her story today, after all that's happened, she's lost her job, she lost her role in the NAACP, she still presents herself as a black adult female. In 2018, Emil Rottelbond, in the Netherlands, he appealed his case to the Dutch court system and he asked for permission. He said, I would like to change my birth certificate and I would like to change my legal age from 69 to 49. 
And he said, I have two reasons. One, my doctor has told me that I have the body of a 49-year-old. And secondly, younger women have started to discriminate against me because of my perceived age. He said, I am being discriminated against. Well, he lost in court, but one judge in the Netherlands, one judge on the panel was honest enough to say, and here's what this one judge said, in the Netherlands, it is legal to change the sex on your birth certificate. And so the question about changing your age is actually a legitimate question. Gender conversation today. Somehow gender has become an identity that is severed from biology. It is this fluid reality that is no longer connected to biological realities. So here's the question for me. When it, when it comes to this kind of selective view, is it, is it true that race and age and gender are merely social constructs without any connection to a historical reality? Is that really true? Can you just simply present yourself as someone that you are not? Can you choose an identity for yourself? Well, the answer to that question is it depends because this is a selective view. You can present yourself with regards to gender as someone different from the sex that you received from your parents at birth. True? That is legal. You can say, I am no longer this, I am now this. And it is completely severed from a biological reality. So, obviously, other questions ensue. Can you then present yourself as a different age than a physical reality demands? Well. That's a legitimate question. Can you present yourself as a different race than a physical reality demands? Well, <clears throat> turns out that's an interesting question. <clears throat> Are y'all still with me? The point is, it's highly selective. And there is no authority to give a definitive answer because we've released the authority. Remember, we're completely secular. We don't have any transcendent realities any longer. And so we live in this fluid state well, there's, there's no grounding, and you can change the definition of words that have long-standing, socially normative, historically rooted definitions, like marriage. The definitions can be changed without any sense of authority. And then finally, this view is highly seductive because the stories that emerge from a self-centered, selective, Secular anthropology are powerful. And they include profound narratives of victimization. And our culture embraces them. And it leaves us somewhat confused. The ground has moved and it's challenging. In the secular, self-centered, selective model of anthropology, the most treasured value is tolerance. Individual self-discovery and self-expression must be protected at all costs. It is devoid of morality, ultimate meaning, or purpose. It offers opportunity, though, for powerful, gripping narratives. And it's fascinating. You, you may remember these 
two lesbians in Oregon that wanted to get married. And they went to a wedding and they appreciated the cake that they ate. Y'all remember this story? They went to the baker who made that cake and petitioned that this baker bake a cake for their wedding. Once she determined that it was two lesbians who were getting married, she decided that she had religious convictions against that practice. Do y'all remember this story? And she ended up losing over $100,000, but the story was so gripping because there were people around these two women, these two, two American women who wanted to get married, and it was so sad that, that, that someone was discriminating against them. It was a powerful story of victimization. This transgendered person in Colorado recently who asked for a birthday cake, this baker, Jack Phillips, declined to do it because of his religious convictions, but the story was very powerful about this person who had been through this very challenging season in her life, and, and people gathered around her, and the baker was finally fined $500 for discriminating, and the story of victimization is powerful. Here's what I would say. These powerful, gripping stories of hurt and discrimination, they're real stories. And, and as a pastor, I, I'm a shepherd. They, they deserve to be heard, absolutely. But I also have to recognize the anthropological milieu in which they've arisen. What, what have we done? I, I would submit to you this morning, I've pondered and prayed, as you might imagine. I've thought long and hard. I've researched, I've read, I've engaged in personal ministry. What is the solution? I'm, I'm honest enough to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. I don't believe the solution is anger and venom. I do know that. And so, parents, my goodness, parents who have a different worldview, I'm putting it mildly, are swimming upstream today in this culture. George Barna, he was interviewed this week and he was asked about that. This, this man who's given his life to researching the spiritual and religious climate of America. He offered parents four suggestions when it comes to the onslaught of media in their children's lives because our, 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 our kids are bombarded with this particular anthropological view at every turn, whether it is in the, the movies they watch or the games that they play. Here's what he said. He said, parents, you need to monitor what your kids are watching. He says, second, you need to minimize it. You need to reduce it. He said, you got all the food in your refrigerator. You don't ask your kids to eat everything in the refrigerator at every meal. You minimize. Third, you mediate. He said, sit with your children and watch some of this. And when you see something that you know does not reflect your worldview, have a conversation with your child about it. Mediate what's happening with them as they're taking in and ingesting. And then he says, finally, moralize it. Teach your children right from wrong. It sounds so elementary. <laughs> and yet it is what we must do. So, I will, I'll be honest with y'all this morning. I'm not, um, I'm not angry about it. I've watched it. I'm, I'm more puzzled, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm concerned. It's, it's not anger. I, I've had my moments of anger, but that's not where I am today. I'm, I'm much more intrigued and concerned and burdened, seeking solutions because of the rapid changes that are occurring in connection with this secular anthropological view. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I don't necessarily have an answer per se today, 
but I do want to at least share with you my view of anthropology. Can I do that? I've just shared with you what I believe to be the world's view. Does that one make sense to y'all? What I just shared with you? And I hope you understand my heart. And I'm not, I'm not sharing it with you out of anger. I'm really sharing it out of you out of love and concern as I'm just trying to figure out how do you, how do you answer all of this? And, and I don't believe the answer is, is, is um, like I said, venom or retribution. That, that's not it. But we have to at least look at it and then try to ask ourselves, what do we believe about it? And that's what I want to ask you to consider. What do you believe about anthropology? So I would like to share with you my understanding. And let me remind you of my worldview. I've shared with you, I've shared this with you already. I believe that ultimate authority is in revelation, the revelation of God himself to us. I don't believe ultimate authority is in human reasoning. Human reasoning has to be connected to the revelation of God. That's my worldview. And I believe God has revealed himself through his word, through his creation, his world, and through the word, the son of God, and through his spirit. And so I accept the authority of God's revelation. So that's where I start. So that means that the word of God to me is authoritative. It's just not an inspirational book to be read occasionally when I'm looking for something to help me during a hard time. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible when you're having a hard time. I believe in reading the Bible all the time because I believe God has revealed himself and is supposed to shape what I believe that will ultimately affect how I behave. So with that said, out of that worldview flows a certain anthropology. So let me just offer it to you this morning, if I may. I would just call it Christian anthropology. The key word in Christian anthropology is the word created. So we're created. Human beings have been uniquely created by God as male and female in the very image of God. God's our designer and our authority. That's where I begin. Genesis 1. Verse 26, powerful statement. And what does the Bible tell us? Verse 26, let's make mankind, humanity, in our image. God is, is speaking with that incredible we. <laughs> it's a hint about the complexity of our God. And then it says in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, male and female, that's what the Bible says. Now there'll be many other passages in the scripture that add to this Christian anthropological view. Psalm eight, he's crowned us with his glory. Psalm 139, he knit us in, his, in, in our mother's womb, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But God has created human beings with the binary reality of sex and gender, and it is my contention that gender is connected to biological reality. God ordained reality with roles and functions and assignments. We're not independent actors governed by our own will, freedom to draft any social construct we choose. God has assigned us a role in his creation and that is to bear his image. He has given us responsibility as his people and we are created as men and women, equal partners in this journey, complementary to each other with the sense that we are different but we are on equal footing before God. 
Second, we're created for relationship. God has uniquely equipped us as relational beings to live in relationship with him and one another. What does it mean when the Bible says we're created in the image of God? What a powerful statement. Theologians have, have spent centuries trying to unpack it, understand it. And, and, and uh, libraries are filled with books just given to this idea, the imago Dei, the image of God. Well, there are a lot of things that I would say about it, but one thing is for sure. God has placed his signature across the canvas of every single human life. That's why human beings have dignity and worth because the image of God is being born by them. And I want you to notice, God speaks human beings into, into creation and then you get to Genesis two and he speaks to humans. He doesn't speak to anyone else in Genesis one and two, he speaks to humans because he's created us for relationship. Adam and Eve are communal creatures. What's the first not good in the Bible? It was not good for man to be what? Alone, God's created us as communal creatures. Man, woman, equal footing, both bearing the image of God with roles to play in God's ultimate economy. And we live side by side. What powerful image that a woman was created where? From the sole of man's foot so that he might dominate her. True? No. Woman's created poetically, beautifully, described by Moses. How? From man's side. What a beautiful image of partnership. You're to walk side by side. It's only after the curse does God say he's gonna exercise dominion over you. That, that's a sign of the brokenness of humanity. That's not God's original design. And think about how it's been lived out throughout history. Think about how many women have been abused by the dominion of sinful men. That's not God's design. That's a whole nother sermon, y'all. Point is, we're created for a relationship with God. Relationship with God, commune with God. The Bible says God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, he's in relationship with these people, Adam and Eve, and they're in relationship with one another. It's a beautiful picture. Third, God, uh, we're created for purposeful existence. We've been designed by God to live purposefully for him and his creation. I, I am not an opponent of science. Sometimes people ask me, do you believe in evolution? Yes, if you let me define it. Because evolution can be very challenging if you pull God out in all transcendent realities and the idea of a, of a guiding hand. Well, no, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this accidental collision of atoms that somehow is a shaping influence that, that leads to everything that we know as reality because remember my worldview. My worldview is I believe God's behind all of this. And so I don't rule out science, but we exist by his design. We function in a relationship to him and his will for our lives. He's designed all of this. So what is our highest end? To look inward and find ourselves? No, it's to look upward and find him. That's the only way you will ever discover who you really are and why you're here is if you will look outward and upward and find the one who designed you and created you in the first place. Our identity is not in our sexuality. We find purpose in a deep and meaningful relationship with our creator. God designed us to flourish, to be fruitful, to multiply, to exercise dominion, to tend his creation, to walk alongside one another and walk with him. Yes, this is not some crazy 
cosmic accident. That's not what this world is. It actually is an ordered cosmos designed by a loving God whose tending hand is at work in it and leading it to his desired end. And we are purposeful, uh, responsible people who've been created by him to participate with him in partnership. I would also say that my anthropological view includes this. We're created yet flawed. Sin has affected the life of every human being and every human institution. So that's why I would caution you and me. If you look inward and find yourself, what you're going to find is a broken, sinful person who's capable of just about anything. And if you want to follow your feelings, you need to remind yourself you're following flawed feelings. Well, that's just the way God designed me. Wow, what an interesting, what an interesting concept. That's my authority. I've determined, rather than submitting myself to the authority of God's revelation, I'm deciding within myself how my feelings guide me. You know, I'll be honest with y'all. Cindy will tell y'all this. She's not here right now. Okay? I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I wake up every day and I think to myself, this might be the single best day of my life. The last thing I'm gonna be is in a bad mood on the best day of my life. So I'm just not a moody person. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that broods. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just not, everybody is wired differently. That's not how I am. But I know people who are very different than me and here's what I would say, every single one of us, if we follow our feelings as our ultimate guide, the results are disastrous. And humanity's story is littered with feeling followers. It's amazing what happens. We're flawed. If we rely on our own discernment, Lord, help us. We have such a limited view. We're also created with the possibility of redemption. God has provided the answer for our dilemma. It's redemption in Jesus Christ. I'm born a sinner, the Bible says, I believe that. I'm born with sinful tendencies. Weren't you? How many parents in this room have ever gone to bed at night, looked at one another and said, I'm so concerned about little Johnny. He's just not sinful enough. <laughs> We're doing something wrong. We're not bringing out the worst in him. Any parent ever gone to bed thinking that? No. How many parents, though, have gone to bed going, I'm so concerned about Johnny. Every time I want him to do this, he does that. If I want him to turn right, he turns left. He just imposes his will on every... Parent, are y'all with me, parents? How many of us have felt that? <laughs> you know why? Because Johnny is a sinner. And guess where he got it from? You. Because that's who you and I are. We're flawed. But guess what? Praise God. God didn't leave us in our flawed state. You know what God did? God paid humanity the ultimate compliment. And the ultimate expression of anthropology is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God became human to redeem all of humanity. Praise his glorious name. That's the answer. He's found, he's provided a way and it's the Jesus way. And that's why Jesus could so boldly proclaim, I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm the truth, he says, I'm the life. 
and you can't find your way in this old world unless you find me first. Wow, what a powerful, powerful opportunity. We can be healed and set free and redeemed to live purposefully in God's creation. Finally, one other thing I'd say about Christian anthropology. We're created for eternity. The image of God secures us for an eternal existence. What's that old song we used to sing? This world ain't, ain't my, they don't say ain't my home, I'm from Alabama. You'd say is not my home, wouldn't you? Okay, thank you, Allison. And then it says what? I'm just passing through. Guess where I'm headed? To glory. I'm headed to that ultimate place where all this is gonna be redeemed and all this brokenness is gonna be healed and I'm gonna be completely restored and I'm gonna completely bear the image of God and I'm gonna most fully reflect the glory of God. I'm going to be like Jesus because when I see him, I'll be like him. And I'm living my life on this earth and what I do here matters because it's connected to a greater and deeper reality that far transcends the shackles of a materialistic universe because the eternal God has put his image in us and he's created us for eternity and the image of God guarantees an eternal existence for all human beings. That's why what we do here matters. It matters, it, it has eternal implications. And guess who taught us that? Jesus. Jesus. It's so easy to get to just get to just get so 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 low in our view. It's so it's so easy to just get so tied to it all, isn't it? It happens to all of us. You know, Martha, she couldn't help herself. I mean, her brother had died. She was grieving. Remember that story? And Jesus shows up and she says, Where have you been? If you had only come my brother wouldn't have died. And don't you love Jesus? <laughs> Jesus says, oh, Martha, don't you know your brother will rise again? She said, well, I mean, I know he's gonna rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus said, what did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live even though they die. As a matter of fact, if you'll believe in me, you won't ever die. What do you mean by that? That you won't have a physical death? No, Jesus died. What Jesus was saying was this, what God has put in us, no one can kill. Because it's his. God didn't create Dennis Wiles in the image of Dennis Wiles. I think that'd be a good idea because I like Dennis Wiles. But how low is that? God created Dennis Wiles in his image. So there's something that belongs to God that's in me and in you and in everybody else. That's why, y'all, when I look at my culture, I can't waste my time being mad about it. I've already done that. It leads, it, 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 it's okay to get mad, it's just not okay to stay mad. If you stay mad, Lord help you and those who live with you. But an occasional jolt, that's okay, as long as it motivates you towards something good. So in my culture right now, in my society, 
I'm not angry. I'm looking at everybody that espouses a view that is so radically different than mine, and I still know there's something inside of them that I'm connected to. It's the image of God. And that's what it makes this conversation worthwhile to engage in it. And I want to practice something that I believe is biblical. And that is, I will allow you to have your view. I don't erase you just because of your view. You might want to erase me. That's what's interesting to me in my culture. Tolerance is this high value unless you disagree with the cultural narrative and that can't be tolerated. It's really fascinating to me. <laughs> but I want to practice that principle because I think that's what Jesus did. Jesus listened. He listened. Well, I want to listen. I want to love. I want to learn. And I want to somehow live my understanding of reality in the midst of a very challenging culture. May God give us the grace to do it well. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we bow before you as we always do in humility, with gratitude. My goodness, you've been so good to us. Thank you. Thank you for making yourself known, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for sending your son to redeem us. And so, Lord, I pray for us as your people God, that you would guide us, shape us, help us to more deeply understand what it means to be human and to live that out well in a sea of humanity that may not have any clue about who you really are. I ask you, Lord, to guide us in how we live this out and keep us free from venom and anger and guide us with your grace to somehow engage this society and people as Jesus did. And Lord, may, may we see the fruit of that. But help us, Lord, to Take the time and, and spend the time and energy to truly come to an understanding of what we really believe about humanity. And we trust that through your Spirit's guidance, we'll find our way in it and others will find their way to you because of it. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.